<laughs> you trying to upstage Josh? You are listening to Psychotherapist. I'm your host, Renee, and Josh is here too. Hi, Josh. Hi, Renee. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things, people. The first is I, I regularly forget to issue this disclaimer. Um, the Psychotherapist podcast is not real therapy. The podcast is for the purposes of entertainment and education only. So with that said, let's get into some therapy. And before we do, um, okay, I want to talk about our most dedicated podcast fan. We have some, we have some really solid fan support. We love all of you. And we do have one standout fan, and that would be Josh's mom, Patty. So we need to talk about Patty for a moment. Patty maybe didn't know this, but she's basically my platonic mother-in-law at this point because Josh is pretty much, what's that phrase people use, work husband, right? Um, and Patty is his mom, and she sent us a box. Guess what was in the box? I'm going to give you a minute. Yeah, it was the crackers. She sent us a big box of the crackers we're obsessed with. Most people don't start by listening to the 25th podcast. So if you are listening to this one, at some point you have heard us talk about the crackers, give you a discount code for the crackers. You've heard me eat the crackers. There's just a lot of talk about these crackers that I'm obsessed with and have gotten Josh obsessed with. And his mom sent us a giant box of crackers with a note telling us that she was sending it to celebrate the podcast's six-month anniversary. Neither Josh nor I realized that it was about to be the podcast's, hard to say, six-month anniversary, but our first episode was March 12, which means that September 12 will be six months since our first episode. Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> All growed up. But it took our super fan, Patty, for us to even realize that um, the Crackers will not make it to the anniversary. I think they're gone already, but... Close to it. But we'll keep the note, which was so sweet. Thank you so much, Patty. You really are. Like, I I don't hear the things that you tell Josh or that you send Josh about the podcast. He sometimes reads them to me, but I can feel it. I'm telling you, I can feel the support from here. So thank you. We appreciate you. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. Uh, anyway, so what else? Let's see. Oh, yes. Those of you who remember Paul from episode nine, maybe, I think. Paul was nine. Jackie was ten. I'm not sure. It's around episode nine. Great episode. Everybody loves Paul. Paul is lovely to listen to. He's such a great speaker. He's such a smart guy. He was also my kid's best teacher that my kid ever had. Like, it, everybody sucks after Paul is pretty much the problem with having had him as a teacher. But I bring him up because today is his birthday. The day that this episode airs will actually be the day after his birthday because that's tomorrow. But happy birthday, Paul. That leaves me with just a question from a, I was going to say a Instagram follower or an podcast listener. It was um, an Instagram follower who also listens to the podcast, and I had a, an exchange earlier in this week or last week about breakfast or eating in, the, eating in the morning and about the fact that I recommend to everyone I work with um, in a nutrition therapy capacity that they do not eat any fat before noon. And he, Eric, that's you, if you're listening, Eric asked me to elaborate, and I said that I would on the podcast, and so that's what I'm doing. Um, when I work with people 
with when I when I do nutrition therapy with clients, sometimes I do it with people who are in therapy for other reasons, and it's just general. It's for general well-being, and we're reducing maybe anxiety. A lot of anxiety symptoms can be reduced with with food if the anxiety is dysfunctional specifically, and lots of other complaints. But the thing that I use nutrition therapy the most for in practice is for gut work, for gut healing. So everyone I work with on gut health, we are, it's completely nutrition work, right? Sometimes there are um, supplements that we use if somebody's dealing with and it's what seems like an overgrowth or if their symptoms are really intense, we definitely can bring supplements into it. I specifically like to use the products from Cellcore. Um, but generally, we are just working with food. We're just working with food and beverages. It's strict nutrition stuff. And Everybody already knows my whole lemon water, celery, celery juice shtick in the morning. Um, that's something that I've done for years and years and years. Everyone I've ever worked with on gut health has done it. Some people won't drink the celery juice. They just won't. I get it. Like, you don't have to do everything. We can always find ways around the things that you really don't like. In that case, they still do the lemon water step. Another piece of that morning component is not eating fat before noon. And I, I will tell you that I got this information from Anthony William, who is better known as the medical medium. And I've said before, all of you naysayers who want to be cynical about him, I was with you. I get it. He's not a doctor. He wasn't specifically trained. He, he has some intuition about, I don't care though, because it was his work that actually got me really well when I was really sick. So I know that it works. And I've employed so many of his principles with the clients that I work with. The stuff has been tested Granted, anecdotally, I'm not doing statistically significant research with my clients, but anec the anecdotal evidence is that this stuff is very, very real. And so this was something I learned from him when I was doing my own gut healing work. And this is all about the liver, okay? If you are working on your gut health, you really want to focus on your liver. That's the driver. And when you're sleeping, you're, I'm way oversimplifying this, but I just want to make sure I can give Eric an answer that is somewhat satisfactory before we move on without hijacking the whole show into a gut health talk, although people ask for that and eventually we'll get to it. But for now, your liver is working all night cleaning crap out of your system, right? It's like a big Brita filter. When you wake up in the morning, your liver has been working really hard while you were sleeping. And so the hardest thing for your liver to deal with is fat. And traditionally, in the American diet, our breakfasts are very fatty. Even if you've gotten away from eggs, please get away from eggs. Even if you've gotten away from eggs and bacon, please get away from bacon. <laughs> even if you've gotten away from that stuff, right? Muffins or even like yogurts, you know, even like coconut yogurt, things that are really, really good for you but are high avocado toast, right? High in fat. It's good fat. I get that. That's not the point. The point is that fat is burdensome to the liver. And you want to warm it up a little more gently if you're working on gut health or if you want to keep, if your gut is already healthy and you want to keep it that way, this is just as important. So generally, I recommend that people wait until after 12 noon before they ingest any fat, as long as they have eaten something else first, even if it's just a smoothie or a couple pieces of fruit or something. The first thing you eat in the day after your lemon juice or your lemon juice and your celery, wa celery water your lemon water and your celery juice, the next thing after that should not contain any fat. This is part of the reason I push those breakfast beans so hard on my Instagram. If you are my Instagram follower, you know what I'm talking about, and lots of you have made them. 
um, because it is super filling. I get protein. I get a ton of the other nutrients I'm trying to get in the day, but I actually, that recipe is crafted with zero fat. So if you don't know how to do that, the easiest, best way to start is by focusing on fruit or smoothies, smoothies to which you do not add dairy or almond butter or anything that has fat, just fruit and fruit juice or coconut water is a really great basis for smoothies. But the best way to keep your liver operating well is to focus on it in your gut healing. And one of the components of that is not slapping it with a whole bunch of fat first thing in the morning after it's already been doing hard labor overnight. That's the reason, Eric, that I recommended you take the MCT oil out of your breakfast. Likewise, if you're someone who drinks, what the hell is that shit called? The coffee with the butter and the MCT oil in it. I'm so sick of biohacking. It makes me want to drink bleach. But what is it called? Oh, uh, Bulletproof. Bulletproof. If you're a bulletproof coffee person, and if it works for you, great. I'm not saying don't drink it. I just have a thing about all that stuff. But like, if you drink it, great. Don't drink it first thing in the morning. That's a lot of fat. It's a lot of fat. So... I think that's everything. Shout out to Patty. Happy birthday, Paul. Don't eat fat before noon. And now, a wonderful pleasure. Let's talk to Malia. Let me just let everybody know. Um, Malia is probably like my oldest follower that I have had frequent exchanges with on Instagram. And I think like when we first met on Instagram, we had a phone call like a while back and talked about a bunch of stuff. But other than that, Despite the fact that we have some sort of online exchange almost every day, I don't really know that much about your history. So Malia is going to let us dig around in her stuff today. Um, <laughs> Josh just made a face. <laughs> Not like interesting phrase. Uh, dig around in her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but we do, so we sort of know each other, but in that weird kind of online, online way. However, Malia is coming to the first psychotherapist retreat mm. as my assistant. Um, <laughs> really, I'm just social make me laugh the whole time. That's the plan. <laughs> We're starting already. So, Malia, do you know what you want to talk about today? I do. Um, today, I want to talk about, well, I, I, I dosed last night. I'm you took mushrooms this. last night. I did. All right. Um, so, I'm coming at you, kind of all the tendrils that came out of that and how all of that makes sense. But, yeah, um, I was going to say, I... I'm a listener of this show, so I was going to preface like everything that I'm going to say with kind of an intro about myself because I like having like a picture of the person going in. Yes, definitely some background. You know the drill. OG, yeah, absolutely. you know what to do. So just go for it. I'll just follow your follow your lead. Yeah. So um, I'm 30. I am mostly Hawaiian and Irish, so I like came out of the womb with. A lot of rage and ancestral <laughs> yeah. trauma yeah, and you did. a lot of problems with authority. <laughs> and you're an Aries, um, so I'm Aries, an Aries sun. Yep. Aries sun, Virgo moon, Sag rising. Oh, um, wow. I didn't know about that Sag rising. Okay. Yeah. A uh, weird blend there. It is. It sure is. I'm a gardener, composter, uh, amateur mycologist, Cat caretaker rescuer. to a lot of animals. Yep. Yes. What else? Should I go into some of my trauma resume? That one, I think you should. I think you should. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I grew up in a very chaotic home. I'm daughter to two alcoholics. Um, I am myself a drug addict and an alcoholic in recovery. I have five years. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, survivor of 
sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse. I have official diagnoses of ADHD, depression, anxiety, all that. So basically CPTSD. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, (laughs) which, like, to me just reads as, like, yeah, I'm a very traumatized person. That's what it is. That's what it is. I... And you are an over, you're an overachiever here because you've got the ancestral trauma, the, you know, adult child of alcoholic trauma, the addict trauma, the sexual abuse trauma, the physical abuse trauma. Like you're not, you know, it's overachieving like like a good area. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. And like all of that has really combined to make me like a very reactive person, sure. very angry person. And then that also spirals into like the secondary shame of, of you know, acting like that. So a lot of my therapy work and a lot of my personal work has been centered around like that kind of stuff. Okay. Reactive and angry with the resume that you've just given us. And I know I'm going to be a real pain in the ass and say that you aren't a reactive and an angry person. No. You are a person who has been reactive and angry because every, I think most of us know that Anyone living in with two alcoholic parents, there are not going to be stable boundaries. Right. So you are raised in a perfect breeding ground for anger problems, right? Because anger is all about boundaries and they're just, there weren't any that were consistent, right? And if they were there, they were often inappropriate. And then reactive, we just, you know, lightly were joking about how much trauma you have, but quite seriously, that, that nervous system of yours has taken hit after hit after hit. And your zone of tolerance got squeezed really, really tightly, whereby when your nervous system has been that traumatized, it's so easy to get tipped into either hyperarousal or hypoarousal, by which I mean hyperarousal is what everybody's familiar with. You just, you freak out really quickly, you're reactive, you get angry quickly or upset quickly or whatever. Some people do go in the opposite direction and instead of getting big, they shut down. Right. But either way that we go, hyper or hypoarousal, how much tolerance we have for any sort of stimuli that could that could activate us depends a lot on our trauma history because trauma shrinks that window. So those of us with a lot of trauma don't have a really great zone within which we can operate in an, in, a, in a regulated way before we get tipped into hyper or hypoarousal, which is what things like cold exposure and those types of things that work on healing the nervous system, the, vag- the nervous system and the vagus nerve are designed to do is expand that window of tolerance. So for you to have been reactive and angry for most of your life does make perfect sense. Oh, yeah. That's just nervous system shit. Okay, so yes, you've been reactive, you've been angry, and then like you said, there's the shame cycle. For those of us who have those responses where – we react maybe too quickly or more than we want to or to the wrong person, we displace it. Afterwards, when, we, when our nervous system calms back down and we're aware of it, then there's this whole big wave of shame of I'm such an asshole, which just contributes to the whole cycle continuing, right? Oh, yeah. And I also have that, like, alcoholic patterning. Like, even though, like, I don't drink anymore, like, there's, it's still, like, basically, like, the same kind of thing over and over again. But, you know, like, I've I've been therapized for years. <laughs> yes. I've been, like, recently medicated. I've been sticking with the mushrooms pretty religiously for, like, the last, I don't know, six or seven months. Excellent. How are you taking meds right now? Yes. Which one? Um, I am on low-dose Zoloft, Abilify, and Propanolol. Okay, and that cocktail's working? Yeah. And you're working the mushrooms. You're on the mushrooms. Yeah. 
Um, so like a lot of my reactivity and like those kinds of behavioral issues yes um have like kind of resolved themselves with like a combination of like meds and therapy and um personal work but now the mushrooms are kind of taking me on this journey of like figuring out how to be in like right relationship with myself and that's been really lovely honestly um it's kind of equal parts teaching me how to like myself and love myself and like calling me on my bullshit (laughs) (laughs) nice I want to just for a second if you don't mind go back to the med thing Mm -hmm. just for a minute because I people ask me to talk about meds all the time and people ask questions about meds all the time and it's such a And so not a black and white issue that I think it's hard to talk about them outside of concrete examples. And you've given us a really good one here, which is that I know you well enough. Everybody else doesn't. But I will tell everybody that there's no like doing things the easy way with you. (laughs) Right. Like the opposite. It took you this long. Right. To even consider putting a cocktail together that was going to give you some assistance. You like to do things the hard way. You like to do it yourself and you like it to be laborious. Like that's just how you roll. So when I hear that you've gotten to a place where you've been experimenting with some meds, I'm actually really relieved with you. And this is why what you said that with the meds and some trauma work and some therapy and all of this stuff that it's helping with the reactivity and When people, this thing that we talk about, the like, I'm the kind of person who, like just now I kind of grabbed onto it. Like, well, you're not a reactive person, but you have for 30 years or however many years been reactive, right? Your nervous system has been in situations that have triggered it and it has been reactive. Well, let's just say even if it didn't start till you were 10, right? Let's say it's been 20 years of being reactive. Now there is a pattern, right? There's an established pattern, a habit of mind, a habit of body, an established reaction by your nervous system. And some of us need the assistance of meds to start to create different patterns. Sometimes we can do all of the stuff and still have a lot of trouble not having those same reactions that we've had over and over and over. And when the medication comes in and does just gives us a little bit of a boost, either mood-wise or energy-wise or patience-wise or whatever it is that it does, however it is able to lower either reactivity or depressive symptoms or whatever you're working on, Sometimes what that's doing for people is giving them the opportunity to have different reactions and different experiences long enough that they can start to root. And that then even when we go off the meds and are and we may not have that assistance anymore, we don't have the boost anymore, we've had the practice, right? So our brain, it's sort of like what meditation, when people talk about um, how meditation works, the way meditation works is basically like creating new paths in your brain. It's just like anything else. If you say to yourself a thousand times a day, I am calm, it's eventually going to set in. But if you say it for two minutes straight to yourself over and over, it's really going to set in, that that sustained direct attention really wears that path down. So that if I wake up in the morning and for the last 20 years, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I go, oh God, this day is going to suck. Well, then that's going to be a really, that path, just like a path that somebody has walked on a lot, has been real worn down in my brain. And if I think about my first thought as like a ball bearing that pops up in my head and gets dropped into my brain, that ball bearing is going to go down whatever path is the deepest. And that's the, this day is going to suck path. Let's say that I am not able in any real effective way to get myself to think differently 
when I wake up in the morning. That's the first thought that comes into my head. So I start a practice of waking up every morning, whether that thought pops up or not, before I look at my phone of doing three minutes of meditation on the fact that like I'm okay or I am well or I am safe or whatever I do. What I'm doing there is wearing down a new path. And over time, that path may be just as deep or even deeper than the other one and it's going to allow that ball bearing a better chance of choosing that path each day, right? So some of us need the meds to wear that path down is all I'm saying. And that doesn't mean that we have to take them forever and it doesn't mean that we're taking the easy way. It means that the way to get the practice of how we want to react might need a little bit of assistance. Is that consistent with what your experience has been? Oh, absolutely. Um, That's super spot on. And like for background, like my really diving deep into like my trauma work and everything like that started five years ago. Like whenever I stopped using, I read The Body Keeps the Score and like my myself finally made sense. Yes, that's the thing about that book that's so miraculous. So many of us are like, oh my God, I'm not a complete wreck. Like this all makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And like, you know, I've done all of the things, but I finally hit a point where I was just like, I'm banging my head against the wall. Like, and I've, I've made progress and I didn't want to discount that, but I knew that like the amount that I was putting in was not actually aligned with like how much I was getting in return. Yes, 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 yes. Well put. Right. And that, and then that goes in and adds to the shame pile. Absolutely. Why am I trying so hard and I'm still losing my shit with people at work when I don't want to? I thought I was doing this right. And it's like, no, you are doing it right. But sometimes, you know, our nervous system needs a little more support. I know that you're on this tip, so I'm just going to say, I think if we lived differently, this might not be the case, right? If you didn't, if you didn't have to go to work, <laughs> if you could take, if you could take a few months and you and I could just like sit outside and talk about shit and pull weeds and play with cats and you know what I mean, do the mindfulness exercises and there was no responsibility, we might be able to establish those patterns without the meds. But if we're going to yes. continue to be capitalists, we're not going to be able to do this the right way without help. And that's just the reality. Yep. That's exactly it. And I am somebody who's very wary of meds. I mean, I'm somebody who abused pharmaceuticals for a very long time. So, and I also work in clinical research. So I'm, I'm very (laughs) wary of pharmaceuticals in every single way, but at the same time, like I'm very appreciative of what they can do whenever they're used appropriately and mindfully. Absolutely. They, I mean, they, they save lives and they rescue people regularly. They are also wildly overprescribed and misused mm-hmm. and miss and all of those things, which is why it's not black and white. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I hijacked us off of your trauma. C- I'm going to say this is a CV more than a resume, Malia. <laughs> this is some next level shit. We're not going to give it a little piddly resume designation. But yes, yeah, so you are taking meds and you have been working with mushrooms to improve your relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. What was going on that made you think that was something you needed to or wanted to work on? Well, it wasn't even something that I thought I needed to work on. Oh, Um, the mushrooms did. Yeah, they decided it for me. I went in just completely trusting them to do what they needed to do. Um, And the series of journeys has been really interesting. Um, Like there was one trip that was like I could feel it was like a diagnostic workup on my brain. It was incredible. Like they were taking full inventory of everything that they needed to do so that they could like return back to it later. That's perfect. And last night was really about like honestly liking myself and appreciating myself because I mean the mushrooms are very smart. Like they know that they need to 
fortify me first, I think, before they really get into like the truly deep like trauma work. That's such a good point. The mushrooms know exactly what to do. And I think I've brought this up before, but I have a client, I had a client, she listened, so I know she's listening to this, who the first time she did mushrooms, she told me, I don't want to deal with my breakup in the mushroom trip though. I don't want to do any breakup stuff. And I said, well, it's not really up to you, right? The mushrooms know yeah. sort of what needs to happen, in what order, in what way. Like, they're really smart. And she came back from the first one all aggro. She said, the whole thing was about the breakup. And I said, well, okay. So the mushrooms know that that needed to get cleared first, right? And after that's clear, the next time you go in, they're going to go to something else. But that would have been in the way. Incidentally, she and the person with whom she had been broken up are now married. So la, 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 la. But, um, <laughs> but, but the point is... They know what to do. And so I know you well enough to know that it's like kind of meta up in that head. And they are going to need to get up there and do some like, all right, let's look at what everything we have and figure out what needs to go when and where. And you said they needed to fortify you first. That client that I just talked about, I also worked with her daughter who also did mushrooms for the first time while she was working with me, which makes me sound like a total pusher, but whatever, I'm here for it. Um, and she was that she was this type A, tech job, doing everything for everybody, not really taking great care of herself, but on everything all the time, go, 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 go. And her first mushroom trip was all play. It was almost regressive where she was yeah. like a little kid skipping around the house, looking at herself in the mirror. It was just fun. And it was as if the mushrooms knew we have to get her to buy in. Right. We have yep. to get her to know that, like, there's something here for her, that there's something different for her in here. If her first trip had been all work, that wouldn't have been right for her. She knows how to work. The mushrooms needed to come in to tell her, like, this isn't going to look like the work that you're used to. This isn't about you identifying a goal and making an outline and doing the steps to get there. This is a different journey. And someone who's going to come on, one of my clients, Cameron, I do have permission to use his name, who's going to be on the show soon you and other people who follow me on Instagram have, have read some of the notes from his trips because he sends them. He texts me sometimes while he's having his trips. Well, he doesn't, he hasn't recently because the last ones have been really grueling, but he also had a first mushroom trip that was just this glorious, just the mushrooms really holding him and making him feel safe so that he could go into the deeper work. And so that's what they're doing for you. You say they're fortifying you first, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there also is a lot of stuff coming up of like just my daily behaviors and my patterning and my kind of my internal world that come up. Um, like what? Like, I mean, one mini trip was what came up was that I needed to break up with somebody that I was kind of dating at the time. Um, and that like, I couldn't, tolerate that kind of behavior that I was tolerating. Do you mind sharing what the behavior was that you were tolerating? Oh, it was just like major red flags, like still heavily involved with his ex, like financially, emotionally. She watches the dog every time he's out of town. Like, Oh, Josh is shaking um, his head. No. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> you look, watching the dog is basically like having sex. Like that's about as intimate yes. as it gets outside of your own body. Way yeah, too yeah. intimate. <laughs> Um, another thing was, um, you know, a huge thing is how I talk to myself. Okay. Um, I'm hyper self-critical. Um, so usually whenever I used to make a mistake and, or catch something that I had done wrong, um, my internal dialogue was like, literally I am a monster. 
or I'm worthless. Really? And it could be something just like so tiny. It could be like, I forgot to put something away last night. Um, oh. But that well, would be like what I would tell myself. But now like the mushrooms taught me how to correct that. And like literally the patterning now is like, I love myself even when I make mistakes. This seems like a lovely time to take a break. So let's do that. I have been loving the cyclic sigh breathing. I haven't done it in a few days um, because for the last two or three days, I have not been able to breathe through my nose, as I'm sure you can hear. But before that, I was really digging it. And plenty of people have told me, um, given me the feedback that they really like it too. So I want to get that to the point that it's second nature for you guys. So let's do that again today. Just a reminder. As with the other types of breathing that we've done on the podcast, you are inhaling through your nose and exhaling out of your mouth. When you inhale through your nose, you want ideally for only your belly to move, not your shoulders and your chest. That's not where you're taking the air. So if you put your hand on your lower belly, it'll help direct the air there. So again, when you inhale through your nose, belly up. And then when you exhale out of your mouth, use your abs to push all that air out and get all the air out. Make sure you really really empty your lungs on the exhale. Cyclic sigh breathing goes like this. On the first inhale, you fill your lungs halfway. Another way to think of it is like just take a very comfortable inhale. And then on the second inhale, you're going to really fill your lungs, take in as much as you can. So it's inhale first, halfway full. Inhale again, stretch them out, fill them as much as you can, and then exhale all of it out through your nose. The way that I will count is inhale, hold, Inhale, full. Exhale, two, three, four. Inhale halfway. Inhale all the way. Blow it all out. Ready? Starting with that inhale through your nose and inhale, hold. Inhale, full. Exhale, two, three, four. Inhale, hold. Inhale, full. Exhale, two, three, four. Inhale, hold. Inhale, full. Exhale, two, three, four. Four. Inhale, hold. Inhale, full. Exhale, two, three, 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 four. Last one. Inhale, hold. Inhale, full. Exhale, two, three, four. You did it. Just to remind you, when we stopped, we were talking about, well, Malia was talking about how her work with mushrooms have given her access 
to a new cognitive pattern, a new way of talking to herself, which is specifically that she can love herself even if she makes mistakes. That's where we were. Let's get back to it. And obviously, like, I have to maintain it. It's right, not like right. a magic pill no, that, like, that's your brain Im- is right. just fixed. That's why these things, mushrooms, work best when there is another therapeutic frame in place, when there's other work that you're doing, whether with a healer or with somebody else. Because, listen, there are all sorts of, you know, people doing psychedelics right now and not making any changes in their lives, right? They The mushrooms mm-hmm. can show you all sorts of things, but it's part of a larger piece of work, right? Part of a larger program, like you said. So they can give it to you, but then you need to work with what they've given you, which I know you're doing. But for everybody else, it's not like you do them once or twice or even three times and everything's fixed. You still have to do the work. They just make the work work. And they tell you what the work is, right? Yeah, yeah. I am a monster is pretty intense, Malia. I, yeah. And I, I honestly couldn't even tell you exactly where it came from, but that's literally the exact phrasing in my head. I believe it. You also do a, you have a good cover though, because your humor is also self-deprecating. So it's easy for you to slip in self-deprecation when it doesn't even seem that serious, because that's kind of how your humor is, right? Like. <laughs> Yes. Right. So it's like it's tricky that way. It's clever. It's real clever. I am worthless. I can I mean, thinking about the trauma that you've had, I am worthless is one is, you know, I am unlovable. I'm not good enough. I am worthless. Those are the most common negative cognitions that form from chaotic and abusive childhoods, which yours certainly was. But I am a monster is definitely a pretty dark. Yeah. And also misplaced. Very um, much so. But <laughs> so now you're getting practice, right? They're giving you these other phrases to use and you have access to them. Yeah. Um, you know, they gave me like the felt sense of what it feels like to talk to myself like that, which gives you incentive to, you know, obviously try to maintain that. Right. And they also, as you know, I, I'm caretaker to Miss Mabel Muffins. Oh my um, God, I'm so obsessed with this cat. <laughs> Malia adopted, uh, did it start out as a foster? Yeah. So because you have a nonprofit foster rescue for cats, right? That's that's one of your gigs. And that's how Mabel came to you was through that. Is that right? Yeah, I'm on the board of directors for a local no-kill. And, um, you know, the shelter reached out about two years ago. And they were like, hey, we have this, like, four pound blind cat who keeps attacking our staff and if you take her we'll waive all fees and I was like perfect she will be mine it really is the perfect cat for you and I have watched this unfold over the last two years from this cat being basically yes like attacking everybody and everything your hands your whatever to you just I mean A little bit every day. One of my favorite, I swear to God, it's going to make me cry. One of my favorite Mabel posts, I was sitting with my husband scrolling through Instagram and you posted about Mabel. She was screaming and I thought she wanted me to hang out with her, but really she just wanted me to turn on her space heater and put a blanket on her. And I said (laughs) to my husband, oh my God, that's me. I am this cat. Like my husband could have written that. Like that's exactly me. But you just slowly patiently a little bit every day wearing this cat down to the fact that like you two are like one now yeah and like she really teaches me how to like have a relationship that's like based in love and reciprocity and she really is one of the best teachers of my entire life and I think of our relationship as practice for like 
the person that I want to be. Like I show up the most honestly with her. Yeah. And so that's also like some of the stuff that's been coming up with the mushrooms is like my relationship with her and how I interact with her. Um, and it, I'm not just talking about a cat. I'm talking about like just how I am as a person. And she just happens to be a conduit for how my weird little brain learns the best. <laughs> I think that happens for some of us. And like, this is part of the reason that when I've had a couple clients lose pets in the last six months, and my experience has been that sometimes getting people through losing an animal is harder than through losing a person. Like there, there's something about that grief process that can be trickier. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm just saying the process can be harder because it's disenfranchised and not everybody thinks it's as big of a deal as they do when you lose a partner or a friend or a parent or whatever. But in fact, there are whole parts of ourselves for a lot of us that we show to our animals that no human is ever going to see. And so the relationship is it can be very different in a way that like it's very hard to explain to people who haven't had the experience but you're doing it really beautifully here like you being able she's like a transitional object you know what I mean it's like you can show up for her mm -hmm. in a way that you can't show up for yourself oh yeah but at least you get the practice of doing it and it probably wouldn't happen with a person no no because I'm not yet at that point where I feel safe and comfortable enough with people quite frankly to build the kind of relationship that I have with her. I mean, the whole idea of you getting a cat who's attacking everybody is just funny. <laughs> like a, a little, a, a skinny, big-eyed female who's attacking everybody sounds real familiar right now. I don't know if that sounds a lot like you. <laughs> skinny, giant eyes, prone to attacking. Really, although she wants just to, you know, you to come over and give her a blanket and her space heater at the end of the day and leave her alone. Oh, yeah. Sounds just like you. And she also has a very specialized diet, too. Very specialized and expensive diet, so. Are you on a specialized diet? Is that why you are comparing the two of you there? Uh, I was talking about you, actually. Oh. <laughs> she is just like me that way that's so Malia knows what a press I am about my food and I am on a very specialized diet yeah I'm not making anybody grind rabbit for me but it's about that serious yes for sure know this know that it has to be like this it has to be like that no all right between you and me we've got all of Mabel's idiosyncrasies covered you're right. <laughs> <laughs> talking about me touche <laughs> Um, but yes, I am vegan, but beyond that, I don't really keep any restrictions. I have a history of like disordered eating. So, right. So you keep those restrictions as few as possible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So back to the shrooms, mm -hmm. this relationship with yourself that it's inspiring. So it's changing your self-talk. What else are they showing you? Last night they pointed out how much I use sleep and kind of dissociating as a defense mechanism. Really? Um, I think I have kind of a similar thing. You talked about your dad in one episode. Falling asleep. Yeah, I kind of have that sometimes where um, if I'm overloaded, my body's like, okay, we sleepy now, bye. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. That's kind of my response to any emotional conversation is after it's done, I go to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's still a way to dissociate away from the feelings afterwards. But yeah. Okay. So sleep and dissociating other kinds of dissociating when you're awake, you're referring to as well. Mm -hmm. So people who haven't done mushrooms are going to ask, I can hear them. Well, how do they show you that? And sometimes we can't really explain it. Like what's happening in a mushroom trip can be very hard to explain. And sometimes it very literally just shows you. 
Like you're watching the mushroom show you what you do. And because of the mushrooms, you have this understanding and awareness that you don't usually have. It's just like this sort of magic thing that happens all at once where you see it and you're like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Like they tell you, is that how it happened or was there another way that they showed it to you? No, that's pretty spot on. And also um, you can't lie to yourself or deceive yourself in any kind of way whenever you're on mushrooms. Oh God, no. That's why there's so much ego shit that comes up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's no way to distract yourself from something that's coming up. You just have to accept it. Um, And the thing that I love about mushrooms is that Everything that they show you, even the hard things, it feels kind of like feedback from like a friend that like you know and you trust. And so it can be like, ouch, but also like, thank you at the same time. It's like, just like you're saying, it's like the only person you could hear it from. If you have that one person in your life where it's like, that's the only person who can tell me things about myself and I can hear them and not be like, you know, have an ego response or be really, as the kids say, butthurt. But with the mushrooms, it's like, because they also put you into this headspace, like I said, where you know it's true. Yeah. So there isn't any part of you that's trying to resist it. Like, it's just, you know, so in every cell of your body that this is truth. And it is like the feeling, like you're saying, is there's this understanding that this is all helping me. Mm-hmm. being able to just hear it and not like argue with it or do anything like that. That part for some people takes a very high dose or a little bit of practice, right? And they're sort of giving into it because they are, there is, once you're really there, there isn't any fear. People are often scared. Like it's going to be hard. It's going to be scary. And even when it's hard, I've had some, and it sounds like you have too, I've had some fucking grueling trips. Like I've had to like go through some of my own sex trauma. I've had to go through some of my mom's trauma like in the trip. Mm -hmm. But there's never a moment when it's happening in the trip that I'm thinking, oh my God, I need this to stop. Right. It's hard, but there's just this understanding of import and purpose when you're in it. Like this has to be happening right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think like it's also forced me to be more comfortable in my body and with somatic work because it is so somatic. And so just having to experience that has given me a lot of techniques for kind of grounding myself and like self-soothing. Like you've talked about the breathing thing before, and that's come up for me as well. Um, that seems to be a common theme. Cameron and I both had that almost exactly the same way. And comfortable in your body for you, if I'm thinking with just what you've already told us about your history, you having been both physically abused and sexually abused is a recipe for not having a relationship, a functional relationship with your body at all. And you just told us that you've also had some disordered eating. So it sounds like there's been a whole lifetime of you and your body being on different sides of the fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it just got to a point where I was just like completely checked out of my body entirely. Like nothing is happening. So nothing can hurt me. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And I was also simultaneously experiencing a lot of chronic pain, um, which, you know, has diminished significantly since I've started sticking with the mushrooms. And I think part of it is just 
being able to experience things and actually discharge them from my body as opposed to just like stuffing yes. them. Yes. I think you heard, cause you listened to the episodes. Jackie talked about this. Cameron will also talk about this. Both Jackie and Cameron have had experience of experiences of intense physical discharge during their trips. Mm-hmm. And Cameron is, has been dealing with a lot of physical pain that he'll talk about when he's on the show, the trajectory of it. Cause it's really fascinating to watch how this has unfolded for him, both via much, and some other things that have happened in therapy that have released it. But often he goes through the experience of releasing it in the trip. Right. So it's, yeah. Is that, that's happening to you? Yeah, definitely. And there is that felt sense of like, I just have to do this. Like it's really deeply uncomfortable and I don't know how long it's going to last for, but there isn't a fear of it not going away or it being for nothing. Right. The body stuff is another part that's really hard to explain if if you haven't done it. But this idea of you having a better relationship with your body because of this, one, because if you can be in your body without pain, that certainly lays the groundwork for a better relationship. But what else is going on, do you think, through this work that's improving your relationship with your body? What else is it showing you or are you taking from it that's helping with that? I think just going back to like the self-love thing, because I'm seeing myself as someone who is, you know, like cool and lovable and worthy of care that has helped me like actually want to be connected to my body and actually want to take care of my body, Interesting. which is kind of a novel experience for me. Right. The physical body becomes the object that we can push back against. Right. It's a way of pushing back against ourselves as having this symbolic, tangible, physical thing that we can reject. Yeah. And it's pulling you back into it and reminding you that the body is part of the rest of you and that all of it's lovable. Yeah, absolutely. And that I'm I'm worthy of showing up for like I'm worthy of cooking myself a healthy meal. I'm worthy of working out because it's good for me. Etc. This is that whole I don't need more discipline, I need more love shtick that I like to beat the drum about all the time that like trying to convince yourself to work out or eat healthy in a disciplined mindset. I have to do this. If I don't do this, I'm not doing it right. That's not how we learn to do it. We learn to do it when it's like, I love myself enough that I'm going to actually not take clients at 9am because instead I'm going to take an extra hour in the morning to exercise or meditate or whatever, which was a big thing for me. Like I don't go to work till, well, I just backed it up till 10, which now I'm saying it out loud. I'm going to have to deal with that. I, I had pushed it. Off. I'm slipping. I'm slipping. It's not my session. Um, I had pushed it to 11 because even if I wake up at 530, by the time I get up and I do, a, I do my lemon water and my celery juice and I work out and I eat my breakfast and I get myself ready, by the, it's, it's 11 o'clock when I'm really comfortable to start work. And for years, I pushed it and went in at nine. And that's not even that early for some people. But like, I'm cramming my morning thing and in the course of my trauma work, a lot of it with mushrooms, I was like, you know what? I get to do this. Yeah. I get to say no to other people to take care of myself. And for some people that might not be like, for me, and I know for you, that's like fucking revolutionary. It's still uncomfortable. It's still really hard for me to say no when somebody asks me for a 9 a.m. appointment because I could do it. I really could. And I have to still work really hard, but it's like, no, you know what? I matter enough that I get to say no. I get to feel good. That's an okay thing for me to think that I want to feel good today. Like it, it takes some of us, all of this work to understand that. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was something else that came up on like one of my first trips was like mushrooms 
pointing out how many of these weird self-inflicted rules I had on myself. And it just kept repeating in my head. I would think something and they would reply back to me, who told you that? And I'm like, I don't know. And I was like (laughs) sobbing, like, I don't know who told me that. They were kept pointing it out like over and over of like, who told you that? And I would think some other bullshit thought. Who told you that? And it was just that for hours. And oh, finally I was like, okay, beautiful. I get it. There are no rules. Oh, wow. I love that. I love it. I love it. And some people have answers for that, right? It's my mom's voice. It's my dad's voice. It's a, but whether it's some other authority voice or the authority that you pulled up from yourself to punish yourself, either way, that voice has to go. Yes, it does. Has to fucking go. Hi. Let's take a mindfulness break. I'm going to tell you something first. And before I tell you, I'm going to ask you something. Is it annoying that I'm getting real chatty during these mindfulness breaks? It might be. It's not very mindful. If it is, just DM me on Instagram and tell me to shut the fuck up and just do the breath work already. Um, But today I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the breath work or rather the body work in a moment. But um, because we were, I was mentioning earlier that I've been congested for a couple of days and it reminded me that this week in the Instagram Q&A, Peggy whom I used to work with at Queer Life Space when I was an intern, hey Peggy, and who's one of my most active Instagram followers, had COVID, asked me to remind her of the antiviral protocol. I did this every day during lockdown, COVID lockdown, because I was going to work in the office seeing my clients in person, and I swear it kept me from getting COVID, but you know, I obviously don't know that. However, at the first sign of any symptom of anything now, I do it. And so two days ago, I had a stuffy nose and started to get a sore throat and my lymph nodes were swollen and I went really hard on these two things. Um, I have been going really hard on them since then. And now I'm still congested. Lymph nodes are no longer swollen. Throat isn't sore. Again, maybe that would have been the trajectory of this infection anyway, but I swear by this stuff. So it's a tea and a a detox bath. So the tea... Ideally, you would have it two to three times a day. I have one of these every day just as a practice. But if you're trying to, if you know you're being exposed to things or if you have something in your system, you want to get rid of it, I would say two to three times a day. What you need, fresh ginger root, not pickled ginger, not but the actual root, fresh ginger root, Manuka honey, if you can. Manuka honey is expensive. That might be prohibitive. If you If the price is prohibitive or you can't find it, you can get it from... Um, all sorts of companies online. But if you if you want to use just regular honey, absolutely, it still has really strong antiviral um, properties. Just get unfiltered and raw honey. So ginger root, lemons, unfiltered raw honey, or ideally manuka honey. And so you're going to grate the ginger root, peel it and grate about two tablespoons of the ginger root. Really good heaping measurement tablespoon, tablespoons, and put that into an insulated cup. You want it to stay hot for a while. So put the ginger in an insulated cup, put very hot water over it like you were doing coffee pour over or making a cup of any other type of tea. Add your hot water and then let it brew for 10 minutes. Don't add the lemon and the honey until that ginger has had a chance to steep. Once it's done, you can strain it. I don't even bother because the ginger just sits in the bottom, but if you're very sensitive to any little fibers or anything, then for sure strain it. And then add the juice of at least one lemon. I use a lot more lemon and honey than most people like, and I do it just because I like it. It's not necessary. So this is all to taste, but a good place to start. Juice of one whole lemon and two tablespoons of Manuka honey. 
or two tablespoons of whatever honey you're using. So drink that tea two to three times a day. And then the detox bath is, again, with the ginger, as much as you can tolerate grated into the bathtub. If you don't like the smell of ginger, then you probably don't want to go as hard. But I do. I don't I don't really measure it. If I had to guess, I'd say I've like grated like a cup of fresh ginger into the bath. And then two cups of magnesium flakes, if you can get them. If not, Epsom salt is fine. And one cup of baking soda. The water should be as hot as you can tolerate for 20 to 30 minutes. Don't make it so hot that after 10 minutes you're, you have to get out. Um, because it's better if you can soak 20 minutes should be the minimum. So as hot as you can stand for that long, as much ginger as you can stand, two cups of magnesium flakes or Epsom salt, one cup of baking soda, and the tea. I swear by it. Give it a try. Um, Let me know what you think. With that said, let's do a little mindfulness exercise. One thing we haven't done in a while is a sensory scan. So let's do that. I am just going to ask you to tune in to each of your five senses for a moment and use them, turn to your environment and see how many things you can stimulate that sense with. So for example, we'll start with sight. So look around and see the first thing that grabs your eye and really note what the sensation of looking at it is. Is it the color that's really intense? Is it the texture? What is it? Just really, really import that visual cue. And now do that with four other things so that you have a total of five pieces of visual stimuli that you're just focusing on really looking at them, really seeing them. You see five things. What are five things that you see, really see them? Okay, good. And now, what are four things that you can feel? So you may just be able to feel, you know, air conditioning on your skin or the sun on your skin or a breeze on your skin, but you can also use your, you know, hands and touch things. What do you feel? And Really, really tune in to the sensation of the feeling. Send all of your focus when you're using your hand to where your hand meets whatever it is touching and really feel what that feels like. And try to do this for a total of four things. What are four things that you can feel? And really feel them. I'm not going to make a dirty joke here, so just find four things you can feel and really feel them. I'm not doing it. Good. I'm not. Okay. Now, let's do sound. Can you hear three things? If you really, really tune in, let it otherwise go really quiet, and I will shut up in a minute so that you can do that. Believe it or not, I really will. But just let me say you're going to really hear them, really focus on the experience of hearing. Try to find three sounds. Go ahead. Josh is making noise walking around the studio. That's what I hear. (laughs) Okay. Now, two things that you can smell. See if you can pick up two scents. Do you have lotion on? You know, smell your own arm. Again, I'm not going to make any stupid jokes here, but just smell two, two smells. Really focus on it. And lastly, one thing you can taste. (laughs) It's so hard for me not to make jokes here. Just try That's very mindful when I scream at you like that. I know you guys love that. See what you can taste. There may already be, if you just had coffee, you know, sometimes you can taste that in your mouth. But I'm going to take a sip of my smoothie because that's a taste explosion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shut up. Josh is making fun of me from across the room. You don't get to crack jokes unless you're actually in your chair, Joshua. Um, that's a sensory scan. 
I love these because it's different than breath work for people who get annoyed sitting and doing breath work. And there's plenty of people out there, especially people who have unresolved trauma. A lot of that stuff is hard. Sensory scans are a lot easier. And I do these throughout the day. I try to do them between every client just to get myself back into my body. Highly, highly recommend the 54321 version because it's hard to find like five things that you can taste or, you know, four things that you can smell. So it works really well, but it also doesn't matter. You don't have to quantify it. Just what do you see? What do you hear? And just really focus and tune in to each of them. I think we did some of these really early in the podcast. I'm bringing them back because I've sort of forgotten how helpful they are. I've been leaning on them pretty heavily lately to keep myself from doing too much spinning. So give it a try. And with that said, let's get back to Malia, who was just telling us about the experience of repeating to herself these somewhat arbitrary rules that she has for herself, only to have the mushroom say to her, well, who told you that? Over and over until, and she said, you know, emotionally, she's engaging with this. She's crying and realizing that she doesn't have to follow them. That's where we were. I had no idea you were in a good, I know you've mentioned it to me before, but I didn't realize you'd had a good run of this. Like this is really building these trips. Yeah. Um, I'm genuinely grateful for, you know, everything that they teach me. And at first it was really scary, but looking back on it, it was because I didn't fully trust the mushrooms and I didn't fully like consent to everything that they were doing. That's right. That's a really good way to put it. And it took one of those trips where like they really hold you and um, like show you how loved you are in order for me to really be like, okay, whatever you have to show me, I trust you. You're obviously onto something. And that's the thing about how smart they are and how they know everybody needs a slightly different entry into the work, right? And you need it. A lot of us need that holding first. Yeah. A lot of us need that. It's both the safety and the hope that need to be there. And this thing you keep talking, you've said a couple times felt sense. And I think that that phrase is one of the most important phrases in all types of trauma work, because when people do just talk therapy, right, they're not doing any nervous system work, they're not doing mushrooms or EMDR or anything that works with the body and the nervous system, and you're just talking and trying to convince yourself, let's take, for example, that you're not a monster, right? And if you went to a, and I know I'm always ragging on CBT, and again, CBT is a great tool for a lot of things, just not for trauma healing. You go to a CBT therapist and it's like, okay, we're going to do cognitive restructuring. Every time you think, I am a monster, I want you to yell stop in your head and then tell yourself, I am good or I am deserving, right? You could do that for the rest of your life and you may trick your brain into sometimes when you go to think I'm a monster going, oh, no, now we're just supposed to say I'm good. <laughs> but there's no felt sense. Your brain is not enough. Your brain thinking something is not healing. If there isn't a felt sense in your body of the fact that it's true. Yes. So in other words, if, I, if we were talking about this from an EMDR perspective and we were zeroing in on I am a monster and what was the other one? Um, I'm worthless. Was that it? Yeah. For whatever reason, I'm real stuck on I am a monster. But if we were going with I am a monster as your as your negative cognition, through the process of EMDR, you would gain the same thing. This The EMDR shows you. First, it, de it <clears throat> takes the charge out of the memories that support the idea. I'm a monster so that it can't feed that idea to you anymore. But then it actually rewrites that sentence and shows you proof 
there is an experience in EMDR very much like there. I mean, EMDR is a scientifically engineered mushroom trip, and I don't think she thought that when she created it, but that's basically what it boils down to. The In the EMDR, your own brain will show you. It's able to pull up proof for whatever it is that we're trying to get you to to if whatever the whatever you've decided for you the opposite of I'm a monster is like I am good or I am worthy right it it, at the end of EMDR you get this proof so that you emerge from EMDR with a felt sense of the fact that this is true and that's what mushrooms give you mushrooms change the felt sense there is no work in talk therapy that will ever change the felt sense (laughs) Hey, this is Renee. I have to interject here that I'm, you know, you guys know I get a little excited. That's a little intense. It's not that there's none that will ever do it. It's just, it's not easy. It demands a really, really specific relationship between the client and the therapist, and it demands some relational opportunities outside of therapy that the therapy is setting up the client to leverage. So it's that they are infinitely harder to leverage for this work is what I was trying to say. Let's go. Sorry. That felt sense is critical, which is why so many people are stuck in trauma work. They can hear the things and say the things to themselves over and over and over, but something deeper needs to shift, right? Because I know you, you've been doing the stuff. You know how to say the stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? You're like, you get it. Your brain gets it. But it was that felt sense that no matter how strong, you're a perfect example for this. No matter how fucking badass, strong, smart, determined, like Aries fiery you are, it doesn't matter. You can't trump your nervous system. Nope. You can't. Maybe Mabel can. But. <laughs> <laughs> so last night's trip was about what mostly what? What came up specifically last night? A lot of stuff about like kind of my energetic exchanges with Mabel and therefore with everyone. Um, and Like being able to correct my energy and control it more efficiently. Tell me more. Um, she does this thing where (laughs) she'll walk up to you, um, and she's completely blind, um, for context. Are most of your Mabel posts on Damn It Malia or Damn It Kittens? Which Instagram? Um, Damn It Kittens. Okay, because people seriously like Mabel is God. (laughs) So Malia's Instagram account for the cats and herself is called Damn It Kittens, D-A-M-M-I-T-K-I-T-T-E-N-S, one word. In fact, that's how I think we got to be friends was your name Damn It Malia when I saw it (laughs) on my Instagram. I'm like, that's my favorite Instagram name I've ever seen. But yeah, go to Damn It Kittens for all your Mabel content. Okay, go ahead. Um. She does this thing where she'll approach you and then she'll turn her back on you and kind of reject you. And I haven't really understood it for years. It kind of seems like she's like coming in for a hug and then she's like, psych, I don't like you. (laughs) Um, And I haven't understood it forever until last night whenever I was coming down and I was sitting with her and I realized that she didn't like my energy as she was walking up to me. I wasn't like as like receptive and open and loving as she wanted and so she walked away she sat on the other side of the room and I sat up and I took a deep breath and I kind of meditated for a second and like tried to open my heart a little bit more and then I called her over and then she was receptive to me no shit yeah and it was also coming to me that like as I was petting her I was thinking about like Am I petting her because I'm being manipulative and I want her to just sit with me? Or am I petting her because I love her and I want her to like know she's loved and be as comfortable as possible? And it's just like they were pointing out to me ways 
that even inadvertently and in small energetic ways, I wasn't being like as loving and as um, receptive as I should be. Uh-huh. And um, like I said, I, I use my relationship with her as like practice for the kind of person that I want to be. This just made me cry. I don't cry that much. <laughs> Josh, how often do I cry on the podcast? You cry maybe once. Maybe once. And I hear a lot of... 24 episodes. Crazy <laughs> shit. Something about this just really got me. I'm fucking crying. It's all good. It's all good. Totally normal. Um, <laughs> no, they're so fucking beautiful, though. The realization, that energy piece, right? And just hearing you say it with complete, like, no defensiveness, just, you know, like... And I mean, it makes perfect sense now that you say it. I wouldn't have thought it on my own either, that especially a blind cat, but a cat, right? Like the energy thing. Like, look, I don't have to come near you. A dog's just going to push right through it because they just want it. Yeah. Even if you're not in the right space, I want you to touch me, you know, <laughs> which has its value too. Dogs are amazing emotional support animals. But I see how Mabel is particularly well suited for this work, which is like, and this thing you just said of like, am I petting her? Because I'm being manipulative and I want her to stay with me, or I'm like, that's fucking, that's some deep shit right there. That's that's real. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I I want to be the kind of person who thinks about those kinds of things in like all of my relationships with everybody that I interact with and that like matters to me the most. It's like I be thinking on that level of like, how are all of my actions affecting me, affecting them. Am I coming at this like with the right energy or not? Am I aligned or not? And if you're not coming, you know, if the energy isn't right, that's okay. It's just then don't force other people to engage with it, right? Right. Exactly. It's not that we have to have it all, you know, beautifully synchronized online in a lovely way all the time, but just know that that's our responsibility. If somebody isn't available to us because our energy isn't giving them a safe place to safe place to land, we need to we need to own that. Yeah. And we do have autonomy over that. That's right. We do. We do. And then another thing that was coming up for me last night was um, kind of like this visual of myself as a plant um, getting like root rot from almost like <gasps> overcare and like over love. <laughs> no, really? This is how I interpreted it. it was like working too hard to fix myself to the point where like I'm actually making myself like worse in some ways from just like pouring like too many resources into it oh this is fucking brilliant (laughs) I just got goosebumps (laughs) root rot too it's so fucking smart a plant with root rot and so for people who Malia is particularly skilled at the interpretations It's not always this easy and this obvious, which is why it's really helpful to have somebody else helping you with the integration after a trip. That's the whole reason I advise people who are new to it to have a guide, to have a therapist who's willing to work through this stuff with you because I've had stuff happen that I couldn't interpret in my trips, especially at very high doses. Sometimes it gets ultra symbolic and I've leaned on my mentors and even a client I had who was an ancestral healer helped me with some stuff that, and you are, like I said, particularly good at it, but it would have been feasible for you to come on the show today and be like, I don't know what this means. And we'd have to like sort of pick through it, but you got this. That sounds to me like exactly what it is. This idea of, and this is something I think a lot of people need to hear. Like this is happening to a lot of us. There's so much information right now. It's like, well, I was listening to this and it was telling me to do this and this and this. No, you don't need to do all the stuff. Like you need to be able to feel yourself, right? Like, yeah. 
So what do you think you've been doing that's given you root rot? I think I've just been hyper fixated on trying to like fix myself and how right. broken I am for years as opposed to living my life and like trying to prioritize like corrective emotional experiences and um, like being able to be with myself more. Exactly. I've created kind of like this artificial distance between me and myself because I'm treating myself like something that just like perpetually needs to be fixed and everything is wrong with me. I think Todd Barrett's, I've mentioned him before, your dying nonsense. He talks about this every once in a while. I see him post and I don't, and I should start reminding people of this, but I'll just repost his. Um, it's telling, talking to people regularly about like, you're not supposed to constantly be working on everything all the time. Like yeah. if, if you're, you are not this, this fixer upper that always needs renovations. Like ev first of all, everything doesn't have to get fixed. There's always work. We're all always working if we're conscious, but part of the work is just being, you make some gains, you consolidate some work and then you live in that for a while. Like, you, you know, then you have to just be that, like try being with the things that you've learned before you start piling more stuff on. You know, if the paint doesn't dry, you're always just this you know, messy swirl of mixed paint. Do you know what I mean? Like you got to yeah. let little bits dry before you put another coat on. Exactly. All I've been doing for years is just like throwing everything at myself, like hoping it'll stick. And I haven't realized that like I've been like drowning myself and like essentially like over fertilizing myself. <laughs> Plants are such a, per I never thought about the metaphor and I have, you know, I've got my whole office is covered in plants and this never occurred to me before. So thank you. I do tend to overwater too. So that's probably why it <laughs> hasn't occurred to me. Right. Like, yeah, like just back off yourself a little every once in a while and just be, I do find myself saying that to clients. I'm thinking of one in particular. He knows who he is and I know he's listening. He's been in therapy for so long that I regularly have to remind him not to work on anything. What should I be right. doing? What should I be doing this week? Nothing. Just be. Just take all the things we've already been doing and be in them. You don't have to add something every week. You know, there isn't, there, there doesn't have to be a new realization and a new space or else you're going to get to the end of your life and realize, oh yeah, I fixed all this stuff, but I didn't do anything with any of it <laughs> because I was always looking for the next thing. And that's just internalized capitalism right there. That's yep. what that is. More, better, you know, like how do I do more? How do I do better? How do I do, uh, just stop. <laughs> so... With the overwatering, what is that, now that you, you've come to that, what does that give you permission to do? How is it going to look different, say, this week than it did last week? What, how, what's the material difference that comes from that? Giving myself permission to not police myself so and self-manage so stringently because, you know, that's gotten me through a lot, Um I'm very hard on myself. I'm very militant and it's gotten me, I mean, it got me in recovery. It got me um, to where I'm at, but I'm also at a point where I'm like strangling myself, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I've referred to Aries sun people as comparies before because there's so much comparing that goes on for Aries people. And for some Aries sun people, they're comparing themselves to other people. But for, for an Aries like you, who's a little more, what's the word I want here? I don't know, rebellious or just um, nonconformist in spirit. I think it directs you much more to compare yourself to yourself. Yeah. Right? How much better could I be doing at this? How much more of this could it? It ends up being more like constant evaluation. That's what the comparing looks like. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I also, I forfeit all rides to compare myself to like other people my age. Like I was an addict basically from like 14 to 25. So my life didn't even really start till I was 25 years that old. That was what we talked about when we talked on the phone. We talked a lot about the addiction stuff, right? 14 to 25 is a good fucking run. Dude. Yeah. And, and it also, I think it obviously causes like developmental problems because I didn't hit all of the same milestones at the same time as everybody else. All of your identity development was supposed to be happening then. Yeah. And instead I was giving myself stomach ulcers. Right. So (laughs) Christ. And what you're reflecting, what's being reflected back to you when you're in an addiction loop is you're a fuck up basically. Maybe that's where you're a monster came from Malia. It could be. Definitely could be. And also the beginning of that, 14 to 25, it's also bleeding into the beginning of you starting to understand who you are in intimate relationships. Oh. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That exactly was really obnoxious. I think this is the perfect place for a mindfulness break after I just screeched at all of you. Or as Josh called it, froggy. I'm a little froggy. Um... We're going to do some more cyclic sigh breathing just because, like I said, I think it's good to just get the practice really down so that it comes naturally because it's uh, such a quick help at times. And then next week we will switch it up. Um, So you know how this goes. You've already done it today. You are breathing in through your nose, exhaling out of your mouth. You take your first inhale about halfway. And then on your second inhale, you fill your lungs all the way. So inhale, hold. Inhale, full. Exhale, two three, four. We are just going to do five. Ready? Inhale, hold. Inhale, full. Exhale, two, three, four. 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 And we're done. Um, Before we go back to Malia, I need to tell you guys that Josh and I are cheating on our crackers with other crackers from the same company. I swear to you they're not paying me to plug the crackers on the show. I just am neurodivergent and fixate really easily, and I'm fixating. See, did you hear, Josh? That's really that fucking good. Here's what we're doing right now. We're taking the sea salt chia flavor of the same thins, those cheeseless ones that we liked. I think there are five flavors. So these are the sea salt chia ones, and I've been making this um, cashew ranch dressing that I just recently perfected. Right, Josh? Yes, he's putting his thumb up. He's got a mouthful of crackers. But I'm going to make it at the retreat, you guys, and I will teach you how to make it, those of you who are coming. It's so good, and there's no oil in it. You know, I'm not a big fan of oil. but So we're dipping the sea salt chia, everybody eat thins, into the ranch dressing that right now I made it the thickness of like a dip. I'm telling you, even if you're not high like we are, it's really, really good. Um, That's adding definitely a flavor level to it. Um, We were not high during the taping of this episode. We handle our guests with care, but now we are editing. These breaks come after. So anyway, I just took your mindfulness break and then spun you out with my (laughs) just meandering prattle about crackers, ranch, and weed. With that said, back to Malia. So I'm like a compulsive 
doer of things Um, (laughs) even if it's not like productive in like the work sense like I'm always gardening or hanging out with Mabel or cleaning up after Mabel or a million other things but one of the things that the mushrooms are teaching me is how to do nothing because I can't do anything whenever I'm on them and trust me I've tried to continue like working or gardening or cleaning Mabel's room and it just doesn't work no no Good, good. The single most important thing I learned from mushrooms and in my trauma work was how to do nothing. And that sounds like an oversimplification. How to breathe and how to do nothing were probably the biggest. Like, yeah, most of the people who I know here in California didn't know me before I had a baby and before I did all my trauma work and all that. But like in my 20s and 30s, a fucking lunatic. Four hours of sleep a night. I always worked multiple jobs. I was out or I was doing something all the time. I stay in bed for full days now for fun. Like, just because it's not in a depressed way, but like, I'm just going to stay in bed today. That sounds great. I don't do it often, but I do it when I want to. And just being able to not do something, to not to not have to base my whether or not I get to be a person today because I got this done, which is part, you know, there's a lot of internalized capitalism in that, but it's also just how we stay away from pain, right? Or how, how, we, how we stay away from ourselves, more than anything else sometimes, right? Just that sitting with yourself is so uncomfortable until you start to heal, right? But there's all of these reasons that those of us with trauma histories have trouble not doing anything, you know, or have trouble not doing, I should say. Mm -hmm. So it gets more comfortable. Yeah. Um, And now that I have like kind of a more of a felt sense of what that feels like to just exist inside of my body and with my brain, um, it's not quite as uncomfortable no, it's not. It's not. It gets it gets more and more comfortable with the more practice. Mm-hmm. So not quite as uncomfortable as a start, right? They're yeah. still like, all right, it doesn't, it's not great yet, but it's not quite as uncomfortable. And the more you do it and the more work you do, it gets more and more comfortable until until it becomes a state that's just as readily available to us as the active states. Yeah. That's the goal. Not that you would and, and what I always remind people of is the goal is not to turn you into someone who never does anything. The goal with all work, all work in therapy, all trauma work, all work with mushrooms, all work with everything, the goal is just choice, that you have choice every single time. Do I want to just sit and be or do I want to go, you know, feed the chickens? Well, it, it's not that we always want to feed the chickens or always want to sit and be. It's that we want to be able to listen to our body at any given moment and know where do we need to be right now? What do I need? And the only way to learn to listen to your body is to learn to sit with it. Yeah. Right. Or else you're just never going to hear what it's telling you. Exactly. Um, And I've been like trying, especially in the last few weeks, trying to check in more regularly with my body and like just ask it outright what it needs. Yes. And try to listen. Um, And sometimes I still don't get an answer, but I'm still asking the question and trying to figure out how to feel for the answer better this is a thing I teach my clients all the time like practice it with things that are innocuous you don't want to practice asking your body when it's like should I call my mom or not like that's a little big oh yeah you know what I mean but like when you're trying to order food sit there for a minute and ask your body try to imagine eating Chinese food what happens inside you now try to imagine eating Indian food what happens inside you which how did your body respond or the other exercise I recommend is like just a couple times a day especially if you're about to eat or smoke or pick up your phone or do any of the things that we do 
right? It like instinctively to kind of stimulate ourselves. Just stop and ask your body like you just explained. Exactly what you just explained is what I ask people to try to do. Ask your body what it needs and it takes a lot of practice to hear it. Like it takes a while, like, and you just said that, like you don't always get the answer, but you learn how to listen for it. Now that I've gotten pretty good at it, eight out of 10 times that I'm about to reach for my phone or go get a coffee or hit my vape pen or do whatever, if I stop and I ask myself, what do I need? Eight out of 10 times, it's water. It's that simple in my body sometimes. Mm -hmm. Other times, you know, other times it's, you need to call so-and-so and have that conversation or, you know, you need to just rest or you really need to go do your taxes or, you know, sometimes it's something that I do need to do that's making me sort of, you know, restless. But other times it's or that I need to rest and that's making me restless. But a lot of times it's just a physiological need. You just need water. Yep. You just need something to eat. You just need a nap. Yep. Learning how to listen takes a while, but it's the it's the holy grail. Yeah, and a lot of times for me, it's just I need to sit down for a second or I need to eat. Yeah, I believe for you those are – yep, that makes sense. You need to sit down for a second or you need to eat. Because the keeping yourself fed thing has been, I know, an ongoing thing for you because we I get little bits of it in conversation with you. And you said you had disordered eating for a while. Did you have like – programmed disordered eating where you were like on a starvation schedule or was it disordered eating because you were using or what did your disordered eating look like? I should just ask you rather than trying to guess. It was a combination of things. Honestly, it was kind of all over the place. Um, most of my calories were just alcohol. And if I did eat, I was mostly purging it. Purging it on purpose by vomiting? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just because for some people, purging is starving for days after or laxatives or whatever. I just wanted to be specific. Okay, so it was – so, yes, the – I remember the days of wanting the alcohol badly enough and wanting the skinny badly enough that the alcohol needed to be all my calories. Like, that's a a familiar one to a lot of us. Like, the only way I'm going to be able to get wasted tonight is if I don't eat because I can't have both, and the booze is more important. Definitely did that for quite a while myself. So there's that, and then on the days – and then the thing that happens with that, though – is <clears throat> those of us who are drinking a lot, when we do eat, it's usually this like just stuff in all of the garbage just to kind of make my stomach not so sour and I haven't had any real food in a while. And then there's the shame, boomerang, and then the vomit, right? Precisely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I lived it. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work very well, right? No, but, it definitely doesn't. But there's this transitional space that I am wondering if you went into that I went into, which is like, okay, I'm not drinking anymore and I'm not throwing up anymore, but I'm going to just make it really hard to eat by being busy all the time. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I've gotten inadvertently like dangerously skinny for my height, um, just being busy and being stressed like on purpose. Yes, yes, yes. That's that was one of my favorites too. And culturally, we get so much support for that. Oh yeah. So much support. Everybody, people love being too busy to eat in this culture. You don't feel bad about not eating when you're working. It doesn't feel like an eating disorder. It feels like I'm being productive. Exactly. And whenever I was super skinny and like going hard in the rescue work and um, like out working in like houseless encampments and doing all of the things at once and just like losing weight like crazy, I got more attention. Yes. Yes. I felt like it was kind of like a weird 
sign that I was like doing the most. That's exactly, exactly. Um, and it took me just like feeling like shit for a really long time before I just decided I was done with it. Um, and like the last year I've been like really good, um, gained healthy weight. I eat more than I ever have. Um, and I, I don't deal with a lot of the same, like, physical stuff that I was dealing with like even like a year ago like complaints you mean like ailments you don't deal with is that what you mean? yeah 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 um and I think a lot of it is just like I'm actually taking care of my body because I see myself as somebody who's worthy of care now I mean that's a that's it takes that right like that's with food especially more than anything food is so symbolic it's not just about like i deserve to be alive and feel well but i deserve nurturing because mm-hmm. that's what food stands for and what was it i'm curious I'm, <laughs> we talked to someone yesterday um natasha her episode will be on at some point coming up and she was like you guys are probably tired of talking about mom so let's talk about something else and it's like Therapy never tires of talking about mom. So I'm not going to go deep into your parents, but I do just want to poke around a little bit only because we're on the food topic. When you were growing up, did either of your parents make or provide meals for you? Um, Consistently. Consistently. Yeah. They did. Okay. So there was this experience of food coming to you as nurturing. Yeah. Um, but also, like, being that both of my parents are alcoholics, um, I also grew up with the lived experience that past 5 p.m. things were really chaotic and scary. So a lot of times dinner was chaotic and scary. So like there was food there, but there would also be like screaming and slamming doors and like throwing beer bottles. Yeah, that tends to interfere with the appetite, Malia. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Right. So they may have provided food for you, but this is really critical. But that mealtime was also a good time to hide. Yeah. And like to this day, like dinner is like my worst meal by far. Like I'm good at like breakfast and lunch, but like I have to force dinner almost every single night. So here's the good news about that. The good news about that is that from a gut health perspective, the more you eat earlier, the better. Yeah. But for you, if you don't eat at night, is it then that you aren't getting enough food? Um, sometimes. Sometimes I'm like a sleep eater, and that's usually my sign that I haven't eaten enough in the day. But usually I can get in enough. Um, I'm, I'm a good eater, generally speaking. It's just... What's a sleep eater? A sleep eater is you wake up and eat. Like, like I used to do it. The reason I did it was because I had a lot of parasites in my gut that I didn't know about and they trigger a lot of sleep eating. But another reason it happens is if we go to bed too hungry and you wake up because you're hungry, right? Like, and you have to eat to go back to sleep. I had a roommate that would do that and I would wake up to him like... You just hear chewing in the dark. <laughs> That's me. Like there's like a raccoon in, in the apartment. Yes. No, and I've, I'll find like remnants of like things that I've eaten because sometimes I have no recollection of it. Yeah. Like one time I broke into a loaf of bread. I thought it was one of the cats, but it was me. There was no teeth marks or claw marks. It was me and I had just like ripped open the top of the bag like an animal. Yeah, it does definitely happens to people who aren't eating enough, right? The disinhibition of being half awake. It also happens because of parasite overgrowths in the gut. Have you done gut work yet? Have we, we haven't worked on your gut yet. No, no, good. We get that started when I see you. Um, because that could be contributing to it too, but it sounds like this is just about not having eaten for so long that you wake up and you're just, you're hungry. 
Yeah. So it's sort of like sleepwalking, Josh, but eating, right? <laughs> I've had a client who had a really serious problem with it, and it was particularly problematic because she had a vicious candida overgrowth and would wake up in the middle of the night and eat popsicles and things with cane sugar that tend to feed candida. And if you're not getting that, ov- the problem for the gut with eating in the middle of the night is this thing that I was talking about, how it's good to have like 12 hours of not eating. Now, again, if you're dealing with disordered eating, it's best not to plan any periods of not eating for a while. But once you're in a healthy space with it, your gut needs to do this kind of Zamboni thing called the migrating motor reflex. Every 90 minutes to four hours that your stomach is empty. Your stomach has to be empty. So after every 90 to 360 minutes. Um, my, my mom did math wrong. It's, a, it's actually 240 minutes, it's, it, which is four hours, not 360 minutes. Um, this, this muscular reflex that ends up kind of, sw- not kind of, it does sweep whatever's, whatever residue is in your gut of like bacteria and viruses, pathogens, you know, parasites, bugs, whatever, sweeps it out. And so for those of us who eat, I used to eat right up until I went to bed and then I would wake up in the middle of the night and eat. And a lot of times it was chocolate. That was the parasites were like, sugar, sugar, sugar. (laughs) But then my body's not getting the chance to sweep out these things. But to your point, it's also going to work against your sleep if you're really hungry. It's hard to stay asleep if you're hungry. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, the sleep is just important as anything else. So it's a balance. Have you noticed the night eating changing since you've been eating more during the day or does it not have an effect on it? Um, if I'm really good about eating enough, like it, it just doesn't happen. Um, so it's been happening less than it used to, but it still pops up here and there. So I want to also, before I forget, I'm uh, my ADD brain I know is jumping around a little bit, but I want to make sure I give you some time before we get back to anything super individually personal personal to talk about Hawaii because you I know you were just there right you went for a little bit yeah so is there anything you want to share that you need people to hear about that um especially I'm in California where everybody loves to vacation in Hawaii and I think maybe you might need to tell them (laughs) some stuff about that Malia yeah um this is just your friendly reminder that (laughs) Hawaii is a sovereign kingdom under protracted military occupation by the U.S. government. And the only reason why the Maui wildfires happened and so many people lost their lives and their homes and their livelihoods is because of hundreds of years of colonization, of poor agricultural techniques, of mismanagement of resources, and essentially for not giving Native people autonomy over their own resources. That's right. And so can you explain to them how Americans seeing Hawaii as a vacation destination and not an island full of Native people who are trying to live life, <laughs> like how that led to the fires in a, in a, in a, a more specific way for them? I mean, I guess it all started with essentially... Uh, whenever Howleys landed on the islands and started changing the ways that uh, natural resources were used on the islands. Um, Maui is naturally a wetland. It's not actually as dry as it currently has been. Um, It's been from decades or hundreds of years of plantations and of mismanagement of water resources. And 
honestly prioritizing tourists over actually native people. Prioritizing tourists over native <laughs> people because I can hear people who think that this is a well-intentioned response. I'm not, I, I get the confusion for some people, but I can already hear some people thinking, but without tourism, that's their whole economy. Like that's what's giving people in Hawaii money is the tourism. What do you say to that? Native Hawaiians are naturally a completely self-sustaining people. They lived on an island by themselves without any additional resources for thousands of years before contact. And they could make it without tourism and actually would be better off without it. Right. They were doing just fine without the Four Seasons. Just fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like it's not that you are creating jobs that people needed. You're creating the need so that then people can have the job. Exactly. But you could just dispense with the whole fucking thing and everything would have been better. Exactly. It's creating a deficit and then swooping in to be the hero for that deficit whenever in reality you're the one who created it. Yes, yes. And I'm not saying like, you know, anybody who ever takes any sort of island vacation or an asshole, but it's something we all really need to think about. And I don't think I've thought it about, thought about it enough until recently. Yeah. And I think. That's totally fair. And I'm not even villainizing everybody who visits islands. I mean, technically, I'm a mainlander visiting the islands. Right. Um, but I think there's a Hawaiian word, um, kuleana, which means kind of roughly translated uh, responsibility or like a privilege. Oh, that's fucking brilliant. Okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's my favorite word ever. And um, whenever you visit, you have a kuleana to the aina, to the land, and to the people to show up with integrity, to give back, um, and to not just be like a resource suck on the island. At least if you're going to visit, give back. Right, right, right. So how can people do that? Do you have examples? I mean, financially, yep. okay. I always try to volunteer whenever I go out there, like volunteering to restore like a native fish pond or wetlands, like planting native plants to restore ecosystems. Um, not being a fucking dick, <laughs> acknowledging the land that you're on. <laughs> I like not being a fucking dick as the guiding principle. I think you can travel places with like integrity and like in right relation with the population that actually lives there. You absolutely can. All right. So we've covered mushrooms, a little bit about, oh, you know what I wanted to ask you about, if you don't mind, is you have been in recovery for five years. So mm -hmm. you have not been using for five years. How does that feel five years in? It's a job that you don't ever get a day off from, essentially. Um, but also, I'm very confident in my ability to maintain myself yes and um I'm also like I'm also very proud of where I'm at in terms of being able to like appreciate my addict like identity like I think part of my distress in my early years of recovery came from hating my addict self and blaming her for a lot of things and having a lot of shame centered around her. But now I'm at a point where like, I appreciate the fuck out of her. I think she was so tough, so badass. She was mean, but she did what she needed to do to she, survive. She was the only one holding boundaries. Yeah. Right. Um, and so 
I, I feel like I'm in better relationship with like that addict self because like that addict self never disappears. It remains a part of you. It just sometimes like evolves in different ways or like might look a little bit different, but like you don't stop using and that part of yourself just dies. No, 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 no. And I swear, people who are listening, Malia and I did not plan any of this conversation. We didn't check in. We didn't plan because this could not be a better setup. So many people bring up when they come on the show that they love this whole metaphor that I've delivered for parts work about having the other parts of yourself in the backseat, right? That when the parts aren't integrated, they're in the backseat, and if one of them gets triggered, they can take the wheel. So if we're talking about one of your parts as being the addict, right? Addict Malia is one of those parts. And in the past, before recovery, she was maybe not even in the backseat. She might have been in the front seat, but the point is she could grab the wheel whenever she wanted. Right now, when she's integrated and you have that divider in the backseat, like a taxi or a limo, she can't grab the wheel. She's not going to go have a drink the minute something goes a little bit sticky, but she's still there. Right. You can still hear her. You can still reference her. You can still talk to her. And the thing I I'm find myself explaining to clients all the time that's hard for them sometimes to wrap their head around. You just gave me the most beautiful example of which is the only way you integrate a part. The only way that part is ever going to let you put that barrier up, the only way you bring that part back into the whole of who you are without it hanging out on the outside where it can cause trouble is by loving it. And when we hate parts of ourselves, they stay outside. They will not be integrated when we hate them. That we have to have love for them in order for them to come back in. And so the only way for her not to have the power to make these unilateral decisions about your behavior and your thoughts is for you to love her. Right. And doing that requires like remembering how she got to the behaviors that she did. There was a reason. Mm -hmm. Right. There was a reason that she was so tough and such a badass. And it was because nobody had ever taught you or modeled for you any healthy boundaries. So the only way to have any was to go really far in the other direction. Like that's one. Oh, for sure. Right. But there are things about like things that she was the wound that she was carrying is the reason that the addiction came up and knowing knowing that she wasn't just this evil force of destruction but that there was sense to her behavior and that she was ultimately still trying to help you all those parts are just trying to get their needs met they're not doing it it's not a like it's not a destruction mentality it may be how it ends up <laughs> but that's not what they're setting out to do they're not grabbing the wheel going i'm going to fucking run this ship into the ground Right. They're grabbing the wheel like I can't tolerate how this feels and I need to make it better. It's just that the way that we go about making it better, those parts are generally not fully formed and they're immature and they don't have the best strategies. Right. But loving that part of yourself is the only way she stays integrated. That was such a perfect example of that. Thank you for setting me up (laughs) perfectly to look like make me look like I know what I'm talking about. Uh (laughs) You're welcome. And I think I still have like so much left to learn from her, you know. Um, I think that she survived some of the toughest parts of my life and it would be silly not to listen to some of the things that she has to say about it. That's right. My addict self is the self that is in a lot of ways, like the best at advocating for myself. Um, she is very grounded in ritual, which I still use so much in my life and still helps me 
You never thought about that. That's so interesting. I mean, why not? Um, no, you're absolutely and, right. Why not? Yeah. Like you said, she had like, she was the only one that had boundaries. And so she's, she has a lot to offer in terms of guiding me in the kinds of behaviors that I will tolerate. Um, and probably so much more I can't even think of right now. No, that's that's a lot already. That's a lot already. And so to bring it back to something you said earlier about boundaries, the mushrooms were just pointing out to you that maybe you were missing some with the person you're dating. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin on that because I'm just kind of notorious at this point for like dating scumbags and assholes. <laughs> is it is it open gestalt stuff is it there's something you like about like is there a consistent thread through them you know what I mean like how do you see that um I think I'm like desperate for approval for from like the wrong people okay why the wrong people do you think I don't know but um my best friend says it's daddy issues and she said that because I'm healing my relationship with my dad I'm not allowed to act out those kinds of patterns anymore <laughs> oh interesting well the open gestalt stuff would be that yeah if let's say you're not getting it from your dad in a in an earlier part of your life and your response I hate this phrase but your response is to like act out right and so then you're recreating that in your romantic relationship, not getting what you need and acting out, right? Like reliving this pattern with dad. Is that what she means? I think so. Um, my dad was like very, like he was there, but not there growing up. Um, like he was a workaholic and an alcoholic. So he wasn't around much or emotionally supportive much. Um and so I think that's part of it is definitely like the emotionally unavailable piece. And so I just like put up blinders to very obvious red flags. Okay. Okay. You're getting along better with your father now. Do you feel like you are getting approval from him in ways that you haven't in the past or is that still missing? Oh, absolutely. I feel like for the first time in my life, like my dad is, genuinely like proud of me and likes me as a person well good i'm glad he fucking came around because that would have been a <laughs> big miss on his part dude um one thing is that if you have in the past when you weren't you hadn't gotten through as much work and there hadn't been as much healing and there hadn't been as much corrective emotional experience with dad then it's real easy to understand how you would be drawn immediately to, as you said, scumbags and assholes, right? Oh, for sure. And it is something about getting attention from scumbags and assholes is extra gratifying. <laughs> I know it is, Malia. I've lived it. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not yeah. even going to make it clinical. It just is what it is. Josh knows a little about it, too. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> oh, there's no, I mean, yeah, scumbags and assholes feed the biggest boners. We all know it's true. So you... Did you end that relationship or did you put new boundaries up in that relationship or the one that the mushrooms yeah, were teaching you about? That's just over. You feel good about that? That feels good? Yeah. I mean, like anything short of that just felt like, like actually viscerally disgusting, um, which I took as the major win 
Yeah. Um, that I actually had like this like bodily feeling of like disgust towards like someone treating me badly. <laughs> it's a huge big deal. That's exactly what we were just talking about. You're not getting rewarded by being treated like shit. That is a huge win. That's some major fucking healing. That's that felt felt sense creeping in of like, no, this isn't actually what I want. I know what it feels like when I feel good about myself for real reasons. And this isn't the same thing. This feels gross. Mm -hmm. All right. So what else did you want to tell us or talk about that we haven't touched on? I think we covered it all. We did cover it all. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you so much. I've been trying to get Malia on the podcast for a while, just full disclosure, just because I love talking to her online. So I figured it's totally selfish, completely. I didn't even realize it was going to be this good of an episode. I just wanted to talk to you for my, <laughs> for my own selfish enjoyment. But I have been at first gently, no, whenever you want, we're here. And then this weekend I was like, come on, let's do it. Just do it now. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. So thank you for doing it now. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was really great. Really great. And um, everybody who's coming to the retreat will have the immense pleasure of meeting Malia in a couple of weeks. Woohoo! Yes, yes, she's my right-hand person. Good choice on my part. So uh, we will see you soon. Thank you again so much, Malia, for sharing all of this. Alrighty. Hug my spirit animal Mabel for me, and I'll see you soon. Oh, yes. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Psycho Therapist. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you will have a question you would like me to answer on the podcast, or if you just want to send us an email, you can do so at the Psychotherapist Podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at psycho underscore therapist underscore Renee. See you next week.